to another podcast and this week, although the tennis news out of the UK has been up and down, we are sticking with the Brits. There's been good news for Andy Murray. The former world number one has scored a morale-boosting win against old rival Rafael Nadal at the Mubadala World Tennis Championship in Abu Dhabi. Great also to see Nadal back in action. We'll hear from Andy later in the programme and we also hear from doubles player Neil Skupski. But we start this time with Andy's brother, Jamie Murray, who's had a frustrating week. It is no mean feat putting on any tennis event. And as tournament director and player, he would have been looking forward to the Battle of the Brits more than anyone until it was postponed on Friday. The latest sporting victim of COVID-19. The tournament will be pushed back to 2022, which on the plus side gives him even more time to pick up ideas and tips from other events, which is exactly what he was doing when he spoke recently with Barry Cowan at the NITO ATP Finals. Well, I mean, you find yourself checking out the events that you go to for, you know, details and stuff and how they're doing how they're doing things, whether that's, like, court setup. Um, I mean, the production here, obviously, is is amazing and I'd hate to think how much money spent on it uh, and not something that we'll ever be able to achieve at the Battle of the Brits but um, I think it's you know and, and other you know tournament directors from other tournaments on the tour and Grand Slam so everyone's here and I'm sure everyone kind of checks each other's events out and see who's doing things well and where they could maybe add things to, to their own event which I think is is good at the end of the day because all the events of the tour kind of raise their raise their levels and I think that's only good for you know the players and, and the fans I think Does it change your perspective as a player because sometimes we're, we're all we're all guilty of just turning up an event and thinking it's just miraculously happened but it's it's weeks it's months it's years of planning do, do you sort of see it in a different side now? Yeah absolutely I mean you're spot on like I think everyone's guilty of that they turn up at the tournament and they just they don't have any awareness or thoughts of actually what's gone on in the last weeks or months or year in order to get it to this this stage. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, this event, you know, we announced it in January or February this year. And basically, it's just been planning from that day. And, um, you know, for us, like, we wanted to put on the event in Scotland um you know, to sort of build on the legacy and interest that, um, especially Andy, anyway, throughout his throughout his career, has kind of created or built um, for the sport up in Scotland. And you know, we've had no live tennis events other than a few Davis Cup matches over the course of our like fifteen, sixteen year career. Um, and obviously, you know, we're not going to be playing forever. And you know, we want the the opportunity to to play at home, to play in front of. Um, the Scottish fans and um, you know we think this is a good way to to do it with uh, competing against England yeah but it's not just Andy it's yourself and it's also your mum and, and what you've done as a family to be able to to achieve what you have done in the sport where, where do you think the sport is at in terms of being able to build on the legacy that you've been able to to create as a family the last 15 years or so well I mean I think that it's not been capitalised on as much as it because as it could have been. Well, I just think that you know people who are leading the sport in our country weren't um, 
you know active enough and pushing enough to make to make change and and capitalize on that whether that's you know putting um you know i don't know whether that's getting more money out of the LTA in order to allow them to to grow the sport through you know initiatives or um facilities um investing in more coaches i think is um is super important if you want to try to 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 build a sport and um you know ac- across the country because I, I mean at the end of the day you know you might have really bad facilities but if you've got a really good coach in that area they'll be able to bring through kids to to a certain level to maybe then where they can go elsewhere in the country with you know access to indoor courts for example um which is obviously a huge thing in our country because it bloody rains all the time um and you know i think things are kind of changing slowly um but obviously for us like you know we're not going to be playing tennis forever um you know maybe i've got another four or five years if i'm lucky i don't know about andy um but for us like once we finish that'll be that chance gone forever so um yeah you know that's what my mum's always banging on about it and you know she's she's aware that it's kind of you know once in a lifetime opportunity probably to to uh to improve things and you know for us like we really want to see action sooner rather than later because the time is now for that to happen I think so what have you got planned for the battle of the Brits in, in terms of outside the actual competition uh, kids are the kids involved is your mum going to do some some clinics or are, are the do the players have to to be involved on that side as well well, my mum's been doing a big uh, sort of community outreach programme. She's been going up to Aberdeen, you know, working with some of the local clubs, local schools, um, a couple of charities that we're working with as well up there. So, you know, mum's done an amazing job, like in, in, incredible and sort of engaging the local the local area to with regards to the event. And, um, you know, hopefully a lot of those people come and, come and uh, you know, get to witness you know live tennis because a lot of them would never have had that opportunity um just because like i said we have no live events and certainly not in uh, in aberdeen in the north of the country can imagine as a tournament director you, you have a checklist it's a long list of things that you have to do and and i guess at the top it's a court b it's got to sort out the hotel got to think of the players is there anything that's sort of unusual that you would have on a checklist yeah, you have to cover everything. So, like one minute you're, you know, having conversation about like the catering and um, menus and things like that, and then you're having another Zoom call, um, you know, about like where all the the equipment's going to get delivered and how many trucks are coming up and where can the trucks park and like it's it, it's it's mental. And there's so many different like facets that go into to to putting on the event and um you know at the end of the day it'll, when the when the fans come in you know they'll see the they'll be inside the arena and they'll see the court but you know there's so much that's gone on to like get it to that point um, has a discussion had about a trophy is is that something that you're going to play yeah, for a trophy yeah, yeah. yeah we've got we've got a we've got a trophy yeah we've got a trophy for the for the guys to play for uh which i think is important you know like i think you know to kind of come play for Scotland or England and um you know compete hard for the for the three sessions and then not have anything to like 
raise raise above your arm for the winning team, I think is, would be a bit of a anticlimax. So we've got we've got a trophy. Yeah. I interviewed Jerome Kim. Yeah. Who's the, who's the hitting hitting partner here, and and I think he's. He's kind of lit up a little bit with his, with his personality. And he said to me that one of the trophies he got for winning the, the under-18 drumming championships was a horse, okay. which sort of, sort of threw me. What, what's the, the strangest trophy you've had or the strangest thing that you've collected from winning something? And, you know, from, from very early on to, to, the, yeah. to the ATP titles and that you've won? Well, the one that came to mind for me was uh, me and Johnny Mary went to Kazakhstan to uh, Nur Sultan to play a challenger there and we won the challenger and we came away with a, a soft toy camel that's what we got given to us we got a, we got a, we got a camel to bring home and, and did you bring it home and we got one of those like fez hats as well I think I've got it yeah, I've still got it at home yeah it's funny couldn't get couldn't get rid of that. Yeah, too many uh, too many memories of it. What do you do with all your trophies? Are, are they all are they sort of shoved away in a box or are they out on display? Well, actually, my wife made um, she made a night really nice display of them in our in our house, and then we converted one of the bedrooms into like a little gym room for me, and she kind of made a display in there as well. So like when I'm training and stuff, like I've got my trophies there and stuff. She. She thought it would be like nice to have kind of have those sort of memories in there while you're training and remind yourself like why you why you do all the training. Yeah. Talking to Jamie Murray on ATP Tennis Radio. As a player, what are your favourite stops and the reasons why? I always like playing in the states. I mean, that's kind of where I've had my best results in the U.S. summer hardcourt season. I guess I just like the conditions there. I also like the fact that. You know, we always get good crowds out for the for the doubles there. Um, it always, so for us, it's always you know a lot of fun to to play in, you know, play on courts that are that are packed out and um, you know get get good energy in the around the grounds. But you know, I mean, we go to a lot of nice places. I mean, Australia. Everyone always likes going to Australia, especially the Europeans, because they're coming out of you know the depths of, of winter and you know you got middle of summer there and you got the sunshine and the heat and everything. So everyone's always happy to to go there but you know certainly since I started playing the tour in 2007 I mean just like the level of tournament you know has improved like out of sight like just the facilities and everything from 250s right through to grand slams like the investment in the in the tournaments has been um, I mean it's night and day to what it looked like you know 15 years ago when, when I started well, you, you've been involved on the on the council, on the players' council. What, what sort of a discussions do you have as as players that you like tournaments to provide for you? What's sort of the the must that to, just to make life more comfortable for you? I mean, I think if if I'm turning up at a tournament, if I've got a nice hotel room, good Wi-Fi, um, good food at the courts, decent gym where you know there's got the right equipment for us to kind of be able to do our sort of maintenance stuff I and mean, we're not necessarily chucking around like huge weights and things like that during the the course of the season but you know the right equipment for us to kind of stay on top of things um you know transportation service to 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 run smoothly um and I think the players always like to have as many practice courts as possible because you know sometimes it's just a bun fight especially the the indoor tournaments but that's obviously more difficult because uh 
you know, there's there's just never as much space at these at these arenas. In terms of the doubles game, Jamie, where do you feel it's at now? In my opinion, you know, the, as it's been for years. I mean, it's fairly open. I think obviously, Mektic Pavic had a had a great season, especially especially the first half of the season where they basically cleaned up everything. Um, Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram had a very consistent year um, from the beginning right through to to the end of end of season. Um, and then, you know, apart from that, it's kind of been fairly fairly open a lot of different teams this year again um you know having having results few teams kind of split up mid-season as well and repaired and things like that so um it's i would say it's always fairly open especially just with the nature of the scoring that we have um i think also now like there's so many different ways to be successful in doubles because of you know just like the courts the balls the strings all that stuff and um, you know, there's more, there's different styles of play that you can be successful on the doubles court. And have you found that it's? You mentioned the balls and the strings. Have you found in the 14 years that you have been on on the tour that it's got quicker, it's got faster, it, the points have got shorter? Well, I think I think doubles change. I don't know when it when it changed, but you know, I think in terms of like players playing really close to the net. Um, I don't know if that kind of happened because players could serve bigger and more and more players were, you know, were used to serving at you know, 115 to 125, 130 miles an hour. So players could feel like they could get closer to the net. Um, but you know, in a way that you know, that's a skill in itself to be efficient up there. But it also you know, can also make the points a lot shorter, which you know, sometimes when you're viewing matches you can play a lot of or you can watch a lot of games go by where there's not necessarily lots of lots of action um, and there doesn't seem to be so much sort of fluidity to the to the game and maybe that's something that they that the powers that be need to kind of look at to try to shorten the the dead time in the in the doubles game I think and personally for me Jamie watching Paris and certainly the early early stages of Paris I thought it was great that a, Djokovic played doubles, and also B, that he was given centre stage. His match was on, on the stadium court. How important do you think that is for the future of doubles that, that more of the top players play? Well, I think it's great when it, when it does, and it definitely adds a, 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 a buzz to the, to the event. So, you know, when, when these guys turn out and play, especially like in the, in the Masters series and stuff, and I'm sure the tournaments like it, that they get... You know these star players playing an extra one or or two matches on uh, on on court. Like it's it's great for them and and everybody wins. Um, obviously, it's difficult for them to do it week in week out just because of the nature of the sport and the physicality of of the of the singles game and the the demands that are placed on their their bodies. And obviously, it's different at, at Grand Slams again because it's it's five sets um you know and the prizes on offer for the for the singles guys especially is so huge these days like why would you why would you why would you risk it i guess do you think they could ever get to a stage where they they could have some doubles points that count towards a singles ranking do you, do you think that's feasible yeah maybe i it's not it's not something i personally thought of or have heard being talked about but I think um, you know that could be a cool way to to well to get more commitment from the top guys to the 
to play in the in the single but then I don't know how well that would go down with some of the top singles guys if you know lower ranked singles players started to play a lot more doubles you know winning matches having success in that and therefore all of a sudden they're 20 in the world at singles when in reality they're more like 50 or 60. Great to hear from Jamie Murray and sticking with British doubles Neil Skupski has been speaking with Mike Cation about a year of ups and downs with a variety of partners. Started a year with my brother uh, Ken. We uh, I split with Jamie Murray last year at the end of at the at the O2 finals. Um, but yeah, it's been a good year for for myself, and um, I've been playing with Dan Evans a little bit. Um, really enjoyed it. I've been more relaxed this year on the court, and I think it showed on um, on the court and also uh, from my results. Um, changed a few things. Um, staying, staying back a little bit more on on the serve and not serving volleying as much. Using my forehand and using my strengths. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a great year. Made a couple of uh, Masters finals. Um, won Acapulco with my brother, which was an amazing thing because it was my brother's first 500 win. Um, but then the setback of him uh, getting uh, an illness straight away afterwards. So it was it was a tough time for him, and he's slowly getting back to full fitness. Um, it's good to see. Um, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a great season, and obviously topping it off with. Um, winning the mixed doubles at Wimbledon with Desiree Kravchek and and then going on to represent Great Britain at the Olympics. I know you and I have talked about the the idea that finding partners is such a challenge um, and, and I think most people would say why wouldn't you just stay with Ken the entire time? Can you kind of walk us through that and the, the complications of, of being with a, yeah. your older brother? Yeah I mean doubles can be quite tricky really I mean everyone um, everyone looks at cuts um, you, you, you you're signing for tournaments on a Monday morning, um, and everyone knows that I play with my brother, so they know the cut line kind of. Everyone tries to beat us, um, but I mean singles. Singles guys can use their ranking to get into doubles events. Um, so we basically, we have a, a ranking, a doubles ranking individually, and then you combine it with the, your doubles partner, and then normally it's around 13 teams that get into an, a 250 event. Um, so it can be quite tricky. You're, you're looking, if you are below the cut line, um, a few hours before you're hustling to find another person just to get into the event. It might be someone that you've never spoke to before. <laughs> um, you're hustling for their telephone number. You message them on Facebook or Instagram. So it can be quite stressful. Um, but it, it is nice to have a, a regular partner because you can kind of work on things throughout the year rather than playing with someone um, different week in, week out. Um, and it can be tricky when you play with a singles guy one week and then you're looking to, to practice doubles. They, they're normally just playing singles and practicing their, for, the, for their match. So you, you're always hustling for a, a doubles partner to play with who, who, who's playing with another singles guy. So it can be tricky, but it's, uh, it is nice to be playing with, like, a, like I said, my brother. Um, and we can, we can practice throughout the year and work on things. Um, to try and get us into bigger events and to get good results. Yeah, his his schedule has. You mentioned the illness, obviously, but on top of it, he has three children. Yeah. Uh, at home, you're you're certainly Uncle Neil, and you. <laughs> I know you have some roles and duties. His roles and duties are a little bit more complex. So, how have you tried to balance that and maintain that good relationship, obviously, with your brother, and, and keep things, I guess, professional, if you will, um, while also having that sibling relationship yeah, I mean, with the with the ranking that i have now um it's a little bit easier for me to look at my schedule and to see what events that me and ken can play um 
we, I mean, we can get into all the 250s that we, we want to. The 500s were there or thereabouts on the cut line. And then for the 1,000s and the, the thousands events, I would normally play with... I tried to play with a, another Brit, really. Um, so in the past, I played with Kyle Edmund. Um, we've got along very well together, and um, we've won some good matches and made some good runs at Masters Series. Um, and then this year, I've played with Dan Evans, which is, which is great for me. It's uh, someone that I've, I've always liked watching on the, on the tennis court. He has a great game style um, to watch on the eye. Um, and we get along very well. Um, we've grown up together on the, on, from juniors up into the, the pros. Um, and he just, he's so relaxed on the court, which helps me, I think, rather than being uptight. Um, and if someone, I need a partner that's quite loose and energetic rather than someone that's quite um, down on themselves or... Um, they they can feel, get get tight at the big moments, so it, it it also relaxes me and it helps my game and I can play and just play free. Um, How so quickly do you know that when you're playing with somebody new? Uh, I mean, you obviously have to go through um, difficult situations. Um, normally, at a doubles match, you a lot of matches come down to them super tie breaks, um, and you can kind of sense um, their mood changing throughout the match. Um, the closer it gets to the end, you can tell. Um, if they're stressing or um, being more vocal, um, if they're throwing a racket, swearing, or just looking at their coach, probably. Um, so you can you can sense if they're getting tight, and you kind of um, you can feel it yourself um, with the, the decisions you make, and if you uh, if your game style goes, if your shots go down. Um, but yeah, I try to st- try and play with guys that I, I know already and I can trust, um, rather than. People playing with random guys that you don't know and you just don't know what you're going to get. You mentioned that you've um, adapted a little bit less serve and volley, trying to use the forehand more. Um, you've been essentially a professional since about 2012, 2013 mm. in that range. So eight or nine years. Have you? Do, do you think this change is more a reaction to how doubles is being played nowadays versus, say, eight years ago even? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at the, the rankings these days and a lot of the the top doubles guys are, are serving, staying back. Someone, or they, they have the option of serving, staying back. They're a more an old, all court type of tennis player. I mean, like the, the Bryan brothers, um, the Woodies, they were all serve volleys, um, probably in the, like the last 10, 20 years. But the I think the doubles, doubles game is changing. A lot more singles guys are playing. Um, so you get more people serving, staying back. Someone like a, a Zabios, a Granoles, they both can serve volley, but they're very, they were very good singles players in their day. Um, so, yeah, you try and adapt with the times, and that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I mean, some guys, they can't do that. Um, they're quite limited from the back. Um, but it's something that I want to try and keep working on and trying to improve, and hopefully it can uh, help my ranking and uh, my results. Wimbledon title, mixed doubles. Um, I, I know mixed doubles doesn't necessarily have the... Uh, I guess same height, same uh, coverage, if you will. Um, but especially that event, for you as a Brit, has to mean just the world. Yeah, I mean, I'd, to be a cha- someone, someone to say that I'm a Wimbledon champion is an incredible feeling for someone from England. Um, it's something you you dream of playing when you're young, and to actually step onto centre court and actually pick up a trophy is an incredible feeling. Um, it was actually funny because me and Desiree. We went back and forth with, I think, different partners and texting <laughs> for like two weeks, and we we managed to finally get there in the end. Um, and then we, it was a, a dream, ten days, I guess, um, for me and Desiree. 
Desiree come off a, a French Open win with Joe Salisbury. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing feeling to finally lift that trophy and um, to, to step on centre court in the quarterfinals definitely helped us in the final because centre court, it, it just has that aura and it's special, that special feeling when you walk onto centre and the buzz around the place is incredible and it, there's no other court like it, I don't think, on tour. Um, what is that moment like for, for the final specifically, walking on that court? What, what, were, what was going through your head? No, it was quite quite surreal, really. I mean, I'd, it was definitely walking onto centre at the quarterfinals. Definitely helped us for the for the final. Um, I don't know if I think Joe and Harriet had played the semi-final on centre, so we had got that kind of sense of what centre court was like. But to play a final at Wimbledon on centre court is a, an amazing, amazing thing, and it's it's something that I won't forget for the rest of my life, um, even if it's the last time I ever play on it. Hopefully not, but it, uh, it's a dream come true to play on the court and it's, for me, it's uh, nothing will be that. And our congratulations once again to Neil Skupski for that amazing achievement in 2021. Another man who's tasted victory at Wimbledon is Andy Murray, most recently in the singles in 2016, the year he achieved his career ambition of finishing the year at number one. Still pretty far from Novak and... You know, I was going to have to literally <laughs> have, to, have to win every single match between uh, then and the, the, the end of the year. He will become the new world number one. He is king of the world right now. Yeah, in 2016, you know, I was, I was coming into the, to the year hoping to you know, I wanted to, to push up the rankings. I wanted to try and win um, a Grand Slam again. And yeah, I started off the year uh, pretty well. Lost in the final at the Australian Open wasn't quite what I was after. Same thing again at the French Open. And that was when uh, brought Ivan Lendl back into my team and things, uh, things changed a bit after that. We actually started the conversations around trying to get to number one actually around Cincinnati time. It was off the back of the Olympics and I was debating whether or not to play. Like each day I was here, we were debating with my team whether I should play because physically I, I was really tired and, you know, we were talking about, you know, the potential number one ranking, but I was still a really long way from, from Novak. World class for Murray, what an athlete. He also continues to close the gap on Novak Djokovic at the top of the world rankings. Murray looked fatigued earlier in the week, but he's still going strong. But it wasn't to be today. Yeah, so after yeah, US Open, it had a very clear goal with my team was to try and you know, give myself an opportunity to get to number one in the world actually for the beginning of 2017. We weren't thinking about it like end of 2016 because again, I was, I was still pretty far from Novak and, you know, I was going to have to literally <laughs> have, to, have to win every single match between uh, then and the, the, the end of the year um, and Novak still could have stopped that. I remember like 
I was like trying to listen to the noises that the crowd were making during the semi-final match um, with Novak and Bautista when I was practicing. Um, you know, and it was difficult to concentrate because you know then you start. It's never great when you're focusing on other people's results. But yeah, that, that was when, when I thought there was a chance. I've always loved the conditions over in Asia. I ended up playing really well and winning, um, you know, both of the events over there. And then the sort of the, the chase to get to number one was on after that. Oh, come on! Incredible stuff here from Murray. Back-to-back -back wins here in China following victory last week in Beijing. I didn't know if I was ever going to get another chance to get to number one. Um, so that was really my opportunity. And then, yeah, I remember sitting down chatting to my, my, my coach about the match against Milos. And as we were having the chat, like Milos came and sort of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, guys, like, I've hurt my quad. I'm not going to be able to play. And they found that I have a, a tear, grade one tear in the right quad. So. Unfortunately, I'm not able to compete against Andy today in the second semi-final. You know, it was obviously a shame. It wouldn't be nicer if it happened um, on the court. Andy Murray is the champion here in Paris for the very first time. It's the eighth trophy of the season for Murray and his 14th Masters 1000 and of course tomorrow he will become the new world number one. He is king of the world right now. I got the, the opportunity um, you know a couple of weeks later in the Tour Finals to kind of solidify my spot as you know being number one for that year when I played Novak in the final at the at the O2. Back at the O2, I was really tired by that stage. I played so many weeks and sort of tournaments in a row. I was on a big win streak, and then I had a brutal match with Ryanich in the in the semi-finals. It's victory for Andy Murray. You know, I wasn't feeling that confident going into the final because Novak won his matches pretty comfortably and was going into that match, you know, a bit fresher. It will be an epic final between the world number one and the world number two. Yeah, it was an unbelievable way to finish that year and to do it like, you know, at home, like all of my friends and family were there. To finish number one was obviously amazing anyway, but to get to do it in front of like a home crowd and stuff, you know, it was really, really special. Well, so many years of sort of hard work and being behind Novak and Rafa and Roger, you know, they're not easy guys to pass. Um, <laughs> in the rankings, it's not been easy uh, to do that. So I think it was, yeah, one of my best accomplishments. Winning one tournament or winning a Grand Slam is, um, is you know, a really hard thing to do, but to finish the year end at number one, that's one of, one of my proudest moments.
that is it for this week. Check in with us on Wednesday when we'll bring you a special chat with longtime coach of Jamie Murray, Louis Kaye. And if doubles is your game, let me tell you, that will definitely be worth a listen. We'll also be back next week as a team when Chris Bowers takes over the hosting duties for the pod and his now famous annual festive quiz. Wish us all luck for that and join us then. It should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening.